You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Now, you might have some ideas about what this term sanctification means. I don't want to uh, get rid of all of those ideas right now. But specifically, this morning, when we're thinking about this word, sanctification, what we are thinking about is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life and in the life of all believers. All right? Now, it is a difficult conversation to begin a conversation about the Holy Spirit because, well, I'm looking around at all of you and I know that all y'all have some strange ideas about what God the Holy Spirit is doing. Speaking to myself as well. All right? And in order to uh, be responsible about handling, handling our theology, which a lot of people get nervous around this word. What does this word mean? simply means words about God. It's literally the what we say and how we talk when we talk about God. So in order to be careful this morning and responsible, um, I decided to read through this week the closest thing that we have in our Bibles to a, a book of doctrine or a set of beliefs. Uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome offers that to us. The other letters that we read in the New Testament all have specific purposes. Um, they're written uh, to people that the authors know, right? And to a place, uh, it's written to a people in a place then where the authors have been. For Paul, however, Romans is a letter to a people whom he has spoken uh, it seems as though he's uh, spoken often about, he's heard a lot about, and yet he does not know them. Even though he's heard good reports, he does not yet know them. Um, and he is actually on his way to travel to them as he's writing this letter. And, and so because of this, Romans is not what we would call an occasional letter. It's not written for a special occasion, like um, 1 and 2 Corinthians where, yes, we know about the problems in the church in Corinth, and yet, uh, Paul is writing to them because they had specific questions about sin that was going on in the church, about giftings that were, they were experiencing, and the ways in which those giftings were being used. They had questions about the Lord's Supper. They had questions about wealth in the church and poverty in the church. And so Paul wrote long letters to them, to answer or at least begin to address much of those questions. Or, for instance, we read about certain problems in the book of Galatians, and Paul is writing rather harshly to address those problems. But when he writes to the church in Rome, he is uh, giving an overview of what it is that Christians believe and why they believe it. And so, I turned there this week. Um, 
mostly because I didn't have time to read the whole New Testament and take good notes on it, okay? <laughs> so uh, you can call me lazy and small-minded. That is true. I will not argue with you on that. Um, but here is what I can report back to you from just this one book in the New Testament as it relates to specifically how we talk about God when we're talking about God, the Holy Spirit, all right? Um, I'm not going to list off all the verses for you because that becomes quite overwhelming. If you want to, I can send that out later today maybe, okay? But, but let, me, let me just throw this at you to begin with. Here's a list of what God, the Holy Spirit, is doing in the book of Romans. First, He is the Spirit of holiness. That is, He is the one that gives holiness to God's people. It's only by His name that we are able to call things holy. The Spirit also sets us apart. That is, um, when compared to the world, we are looking different. And that is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Love is gifted to us by God the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, we're not talking about ooey-gooey love, soapy love over here. What we're talking about is the kind of love that you don't typically want to have for another person. That's the kind of love that God the Holy Spirit gifts to you. Freedom from the law is gifted to us by God the Holy Spirit. Our lives are now lived out in faith whether we know it or not because of the Holy Spirit. We are gifted new minds that can grasp what God the Holy Spirit is up to in our lives because of His work. We have now also the, a gift given to us, the gift of a mind focused on life and peace as opposed to constantly having to consider our death in a negative way and the disorder that that brings to life. We have a new identity that is secured for us and and attached to us permanently by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit works in us to put sin to death. The same identity that's been given to us Um, keeps us out of certain types of sin that would make us so enslaved that it would be working to drag us to hell. This doesn't mean that we don't get caught up in sin. This doesn't mean that we don't have habitual sins that plague us and that we hate. But it does mean that these things will not be our end because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continually reminds us uh, of that identity through God's Word. That is, we can read God's Word, but without God the Holy Spirit, we will not know that that identity is uh, attached to us permanently. The Spirit also sets our hopes on Christ. The Spirit prays on our behalf when we can't get a good prayer out of ourselves. The Spirit searches our hearts in accordance to God's will. The Spirit gifts faithfulness, gifts us the faithfulness that we need to be faithful to Christ. 
The Spirit is continually gifting Christ's righteousness to us. Along with that, also, Christ's peace and His joy. Sorry, got a couple more here, okay? Bear with me. Um, this, <laughs> um, the Spirit is constantly making us holy. The Spirit is gifting us plenty of hope, overflowing hope, so that we have enough to hand out to others. The Holy Spirit is the power of God put onto our lives. And the love that we are gifted by the Spirit ties us together as a church body and keeps us tied together. Now, you may have noticed in there that we don't have a lot of the more fancy things that we read about in 1 and 2 Corinthians. Is this to dismiss those things? No. But we are limiting our attention this morning to what um, we read about in the Apostles' Creed. And as we go through the book of Romans, we see everything that we're going to read here in just a second from the Apostles' Creed reinforced and played out as far as what the Spirit does for us. And I know that I probably missed a couple of things in the book of Romans as well. But if we were to add on those uh, good, God-gifted habits that the Holy Spirit is working in us from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, you know them as the fruit of the Spirit. We could also just throw right in there love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so all of Romans plus that, and then we have a pretty good working understanding of what God the Holy Spirit is doing in you right now. Which then brings us to the third article of the Creed this morning. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Or may this continually be true when we say amen. And here's our big idea for today. You have been called to salvation and kept in it through the gospel by the Holy Spirit. You have been called to salvation and kept in it through the gospel, by the Holy Spirit. Over the last three weeks, we've been answering a lot of different questions about the creed. And after we learned more about when and where it came from, uh, what its purpose is, we had to start answering some more basic questions. Like, is this a good summary of the faith that has been delivered to us once for all? And where can we see any of this short confession in Scripture? Uh, this teaching outline, does it actually come from Scripture? Or are we just making this up, pulling it out of thin air? Does this rightly summarize what God has to teach us about Himself? So let's get started. <laughs> what are we claiming 
when we claim to believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, uh, we are saying that God the Holy Spirit is truly God. We are saying that God the Holy Spirit is truly God, that He is the third person of the Trinity, and He's not just like some floating power out there that maybe if we say the right kind of prayer or do the right kind of thing, we can grasp a hold of that power and bring it into our lives. No, that's not the way that God works. We do not use God, right? And so when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we have to be reminded that we are talking about true God here, okay? One member of the Trinity, one of the persons of the Trinity, which is why the Holy Spirit gets top billing along with the Father and the Son when we uh, say together passages of Scripture like this, Go to all people everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Where one of them is, there the others are also. What one person of God is doing, so are the others. Kids, I know that you've been learning this in your catechism right now um, with all of our faithful uh, student I don't know, what are you guys? You're something important. I know that. Teachers. We're going to call you teachers, okay? Um, now, the, the work of all three persons of the Godhead, of God, might be expressed differently, said differently, just like we see here in the Creed. But all of them are one true God. And they're all working out God's one will in the world and in your life. Also, when we confess the Holy Spirit, uh, we hear His work clearly expressed in His name. Uh, look, we can say Spirit. Uh, we, I, oftentimes when I'm preaching, I just say the Spirit, right? You know that's a capital S when I say the Spirit, right? But why is it good that we say the Holy Spirit? Because in His very name is His work that He is doing. He is constantly working to make holy. He is the one that makes you holy. It's through Him, the effective word and work of Jesus is put onto you. The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth that in the middle of all of their mess, when they were far from what God wanted them to be, that they were, in fact, washed sanctified, that they were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. So there, even in the midst of all their mess, He is declaring to them who they are. That you are a people made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, you are a people who have had the righteousness of Christ placed on you by the work of the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that the saving work of Christ is put on us, and it is through the Holy Spirit that faith itself is placed on you and me. When we claim that there is something else 
uh, uh, sorry, when we claim this, there is something else that might not seem immediately clear to us when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, and that is that without the Holy Spirit turning you from being a, a damned sinner to being a declared holy one, um, Sorry, let me think of a better way of saying this real quick. Uh, <laughs> um, when we confess that we believe in God the Holy Spirit, we are saying that um, without God the Holy Spirit, we would still be damned sinners. Okay? All right? So without His work on our lives, we are saying that without God the Holy Spirit and His work, we would still be judged we would still be under the judgment of God. Um, I'm I'm just going to read through a couple of verses for us real quick, starting 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Or Ephesians 2.1, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Romans 8, 7. For the mind is set on the flesh, for the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. So what are all those passages trying to drive us towards? It's that without God the Holy Spirit, we would never have come to faith. Uh, we don't somehow uh, magically later on down the road after we've already said that Jesus is Lord, get the Holy Spirit. He's already been there working on you and in you to turn you to Christ. And so when we say we believe in... Uh, when Sorry, I'm just going to pull it up here so we all have it. When we say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, we are saying that we believe that before the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we could not have come to Christ and we could not have known Him. All right, that's a lot. I'm getting repetitive in it and I'm getting repetitive for a reason because it's really important for you to see, to hear, and to understand that. Um, I'm going to keep moving here so that we don't uh, lose too much of the Apostles' Creed here. Uh, and so let, let, let me just drive forward. Um, the Holy Catholic Church. Now, every single one of you at some point has come to me having a concern about this statement. You're welcome. Um, hey, Josh, what did it say in your version this morning? Did it say Christian or did it say Catholic? Christian church. Okay. Um, look, we could very easily substitute that word Catholic for the, the holy Christian church. That is true. Um, and that would not be a bad thing for us to do. Um, if someone wants to come up here and change the slide sometime, 
It won't phase me, okay? Uh, <laughs> but why in the world would we use this word Catholic? I, I don't see that word written in the Bible anywhere. Uh, well, here's why. Here's why. Um, it's because this word means universal. More specifically, as we talked about last week, it means the church everywhere, all places, at all times. All right, And so when we say this, we're not just saying that um, we believe in a denomination of church. What we're saying is we believe that all over the world at this very minute, uh, no matter what kind of church someone might be sitting in, God has a group of people that are His, that believe in Christ and have been redeemed by His blood. And not only that, but all people of all time ever that have placed their faith in God to save them. Um, I say that specifically, right? Because we're talking about Old Testament saints here, and we're talking about those that have trusted in God's Messiah um, who have been waiting for God to save them. These people are a part of this holy Catholic Church. Something that God has gathered to Himself and set aside for Himself. Um, if we were to maybe say the Roman Catholic Church, um, this would be a, a confusion of titles, right? Uh, it's a confusion of titles because you cannot be a Catholic Church that is centered on a location. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so why do we say Catholic then? We say Catholic because this is the church, all places, everywhere, throughout all of time. Uh, I'm going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we actually have a little bit of work that we're going to be doing in Ephesians chapter 2 here for a couple of minutes. So if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read for us, starting verse... Ah. I'm going to read for us, starting verse 11. Um, and, and, and this is right after we have heard about the uh, salvation that we have, uh, not because of our own works, but because the the faith that has been gifted to us. And here, starting verse 11 then, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, that is the promises of God, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far at, far off have been, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing, by getting rid of the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In this very short passage, not only do we have reference to what India read for us this morning, that the stone that was rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone, we also have reference not only just to the people that Paul is writing to, the Jews and the Gentiles who are now Christians, who he's writing to, right? He's also talking about all of those that came before, the prophets and the apostles Everything that led up to Christ, all of those that were declared righteous and faithful by God, they have all been built up into a household, and Jesus is the cornerstone. And each and every one of these people, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, they are citizens of this household. This is the Holy Catholic Church. Why is it important that we call it holy? Eh? It's, it's important because when we're using this term holy, what we're saying is we are saints. We are people that have been declared holy by God. A lot of people would walk into church. Uh, maybe they've been out of church for a while. Maybe they've been hurt by the church in some way. And they would hear a church say, the holy Christian church or the holy Catholic church. And that would evoke... Uh, an eye roll from them, right? Well, I know you Christians, and I know you all ain't holy, and they're right. We're not. From their point of view, right? We are declared holy by God and through the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's keep going here. The communion of saints. We also see that in this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, what are we talking about? We're talking about the relationship that we have as Christians. So if we're talking about the Holy Catholic Church as the church everywhere throughout all of time, this communion of the saints is what we share together in our local gathering into the local place that God has called us and gathered us. Um, and what is this, this communion then? Are we talking about the meal? Well, that's a part of it, right? What we're talking about is a relationship there. Um, that we have been related together and called together by God. Now, this might seem a little bit strange. You'll notice that um, in our one song that we sang this morning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, uh, in a lot of old praise songs and, and songs of confession about who God is, the church is included in them. However, you'll notice today that in many of the hymns, really into the 1800s and forward, what we read are hymns that, yes, are talking about us, hymns that are maybe talking about God and why we should praise Him, but mostly leaving the church out of the picture. Because people have determined, we have all determined for ourselves, that yeah, we need the church when we need it and we don't when we don't. It's fine with us. 
But when we confess the communion of the saints together, you are also saying that this local thing, as weird and as strange as it might seem, I believe in that. I believe that God has called together a people on purpose for to do His will, for their good and for His glory. So when we say that we uh, believe in the communion of saints, this is what we are saying we believe in. And how about the forgiveness of sins? I've said it before and we could say it all day long. Look out in the world today and you will see uh, person after person uh, being accused of treachery being accused of some, some sort of misuse of finances, being accused of uh, starting wars and killing civilians and all of this. Um, and you know what? These are good things that people should be held accountable to. It makes society work well when people are held accountable for their wrongdoing. And yet how often... In the world, do you see people being forgiven for things that they do wrong? I mean, you've probably all experienced this in the workplace at one time or another, right? Where you're always going to be remembered for that one thing that you did that one time and maybe not trusted because of it. Or even in your household, I will say, as the baby of the family, all of my sins are remembered Whereas my older siblings, I know none of their sins. I got to witness none of them, right? At least when they were young. I have a whole laundry list after that, though. Uh, (laughs) And it's hard, then, to forgive those members of your household. Because do you remember how you used to treat me when we were younger? Forgiveness is hard to come by. In fact, there's only one place uh, where you can find the forgiveness of sins. And that is inside Christ's church. Because He is the only one that can actually forgive sins. In other places in the world where you hear people say, I'm sorry and it's okay, don't let that be confused for for the forgiveness of sins. That's the looking over of a fault. Maybe. Right? Here in the church, we have a place that we have been called together not just to um, not just to be together, but to experience something that we cannot experience out in the world. Sorry, just one second. Uh, we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. We also read a couple of weeks ago in 2 Corinthians about how God has made us ministers of reconciliation because He has reconciled us. He has made us right with Himself. What is that reconciliation? That is Forgiveness. He has forgiven us, and therefore we are ministers of forgiveness as well. It's why we put a big emphasis on that prayer of confession and assurance, because you need to know that you are forgiven. 
It's why we go to the Lord's Supper each and every week because you need the reminder that something happened to remove your stain of sin from you. And the only place where that gets done is inside of the church. And the only um, person, if we want to say it like that, the only, the only, uh, <laughs> the only one that is doing that, at least in the most active sense, is God the Holy Spirit who is applying, placing on you the forgiveness of sins. And so we believe that we are brought together to do that. As I said this morning in our, um, our, our call to worship, uh, we are here together today to be reminded that our hope is not in tomorrow. Right? Tomorrow could be great. And tomorrow could be awful. Our hope is in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Two things that we actually read about in Romans are guaranteed to you. They're put on to you and continually guaranteed to you by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I've left out a lot, okay? And I've run through a lot. I want to take us back to our big idea this morning. You have been called to salvation and kept in it through the gospel by the Holy Spirit. When we say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, um, we are making a very bold claim. When we say that we believe in God the Father and in His only Son, our Savior, we are making a bold claim that sets you apart from, I, I would like to think, basically everyone else that you're going to meet this week. Um, it doesn't immediately make us different though, right? Even though God the Holy Spirit is working in us, to set us apart. Um, th this work, what do we call it? We call that sanctification. Uh, I, I don't think that we can talk about... In, um, well, we can. We can, actually. When we're saying that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life, after, in the life everlasting, what we are also declaring is when our sanctification comes to full flower and comes to completion... <laughs> it comes at your death and at your resurrection when you are once again made whole, brought together body and spirit and living forever with God, with Christ your Savior. This is what the completion of our salvation journey looks like. It's what the completion of our sanctification looks like. And it all comes to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.